You are listening to an Emmanuel Community Church podcast. For more sermons or information about the church, visit our website at www.emmanuelcommunity.org. A few weeks ago, I finished reading this book called Endurance. It's the story of a man by the name of Shackleton, who was an explorer in the Antarctic. And his ship was uh, stuck in the ice, and he was there for several years. Temperature never got over zero. I read the book, and I was cold the whole time. <laughs> Actually, no kidding. I would start reading, and I'd go get a blanket and cover up, and my wife would say, are you sick? And I'd say, no, but it's this book, I'm so cold. I would uh, get discouraged when the men in the book would get discouraged. I'd, I'd feel like victory when they, when they found a small victory. It, it's powerful. I've had several people say, should we read it? And I'd say, well, yeah, but do it in August, because, uh, man, it'll make you cold. But you see, that's, that's a sign of a good book. You don't just get the facts. It's not just a story, and this is a true story. It makes you feel like you're part of it. And to me, that's the best part. My, my problem sometimes with scriptures is that I want to just get the facts. I want to learn new things. I want to see deeper things. And I, I sometimes miss the emotion of it. And that's a shame. I think of books that we all read, you know, a scary book that you read and then you think, I'm not reading that before I go to bed at night because, man, I won't sleep. Or not long ago, I read a book about bugs and I bet you've done the same. And after you're reading the book for a while, you start to feel them crawl up your legs and, you know, it's just, it, that's a good book that makes you feel like you're in it. And now we come to the end of a series, a section of the scriptures that Paul wrote about sin and I think he has done a masterful job, led by the Holy Spirit, making us feel dirty. And, and it's not just to make us feel bad, it's to help us to sense what it is to be dirty or dark so that we can understand clean or light. And that's where we're headed next. But today we come to the conclusion of this powerful section of Scripture that says, feel it. Feel what it means to be a sinner. And then he turns the corner. He starts to turn the corner in today's text. And this is such an amazing paragraph that we're about to read that some have called it, and I'll show you in a moment, some have called it the greatest paragraph ever written in human history by anybody. It is that well written. So take your Bibles, if you would, please, and join me in Romans chapter 3, we're going to finish up chapter 3 today. We're finishing this seven-part series called All Have Sinned, and it'll remind us that even though it seems hopeless, there is hope. Two things I'll share with you. Number one is that if you haven't done the uh, all-church survey yet, I'd love to have you participate. We've received so many of them. We're so thankful for your feedback, and already we're learning things, but if you haven't done it, go to the church app. And if you touch on that featured events right down here, it takes you to uh, the All Church Survey, touch it, and it takes six to 10 minutes probably to do it. It will automatically be submitted to us, and uh, we really appreciate your feedback. And secondly, Mark has already shared this, but I'll just reiterate. 
Tonight at six o'clock is a time called encounter. We do it about once a quarter. And we do this so that we can just get together and worship, sing, pray, and uh, focus maybe the way we'd like to on a Sunday morning in each service, but wouldn't have the time to do so. So uh, if you're available this evening, six o'clock, join us right here in the worship center. Okay, there are some things I want you to remember from last week because it's connected to what we're doing this week. In our study last week, Paul painted a picture of a courtroom. And he says the whole world is going to stand before the judge. Now, that means at the end of time, yes, but it even means now. In every moment, the world stands before God who is the judge. And then he built the whole scenario for us. If you remember last week, he said, we stand before God and the prosecutor brings the charge. We are all under the power or the control of sin. We we're stuck. We are under sin's power. And then in case you say, well, prove it, Paul then presented 13 exhibits. And those 13 exhibits come right from the Old Testament that prove that man is sinful. And it was like overwhelming. And then you always have to prove motive. Once you show the evidence, you got to show the motive. And so he says, and you know why people do it? Because they don't fear God. They don't think God can do anything about it. They think they can get away with it. So that's, that's their motive. And then we finally come to our defense and we think, oh, good, at least we have a chance to say something. And the text told us every mouth will be silenced because we don't have a thing to say. And the defense is none, zero. And finally comes the verdict, and the verdict is that every one of us is guilty. And if you remember last week, we got to that last part and said, we're all guilty, it's all hopeless, have a great week, right? And, but I gave you a glimpse of today's text because today starts to paint a new picture for us that I just think is amazing. Let me take you back one more time to what I consider one of the key verses of all of the gospel, or all the book of Romans, Romans 1.16. The gospel is kind of the key thought of the whole book. And Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. So you see, he started with hope in verse 16. But as soon as he told you that, he moved on to something else. He began to show you that what you think can save you probably won't. In fact, absolutely won't. There are many things that people count on to save them. If I could just give you the same illustration we closed with last week. You're out in the middle of the ocean, your boat has capsized, whatever, and you are now Floating in the water, treading water, you have been doing so for hours or maybe days, and you're out of strength. You realize that you're going down for the last time, and you just start to sink and go under the water knowing it's all over. Hopeless. What could save you? What could reach down and save you? Well, some people think, oh, just God is going to do that. I mean, God is love, and God will save everybody. That's called universalism. You have friends who believe that, by the way. 
They don't even know the term universalism. They just, they just believe that a loving God will save everybody. And so you'll be sinking under that water for the last time and a hand will come down and grab you and pull you to the surface. There's no evidence for that in the Bible. None at all. None at all. If you're counting on that, you're counting on something that has no evidence at all. Secondly, some people think their good works will save them. And we have studied that like four times in this section. Because that's what a lot of people think. Well, I'm a good person. I'm a better person than the person next to me. And as long as I'm better than some, I'll probably make it. My morality will save me. But boy, the Bible has no evidence on that either. In fact, Paul has just kind of kicked that table leg out from under us. No way. Your good works can't do a thing. So then we think, well, maybe my birth. I was born into a Jewish home. I was born into a Christian home. And I have kept the rituals. I have followed the religion. I have attended church. I have given my tithe. I've been a Sunday school teacher. And all of those religious things I've done will somehow save me. And you've already learned. Paul has told us over and over. That's not going to help you. Good for you for being involved. No problem with that. It has nothing to do with your salvation. That hand will not reach down and take hold of you. And so then you come to well, maybe someone else. Maybe someone else will come by in another boat and reach down and take my hand. Maybe the church will save me. By the way, there's Roman Catholic people, there's Protestant people, many mainline churches today kind of teach that your church can save you. Sometimes people think their pastor praying for them or their priest reaching out to them will save them. But again, no evidence whatsoever in Scripture. In fact, Romans 2.6 reminded us that we'll, God will repay each person according to what they've done. Nobody else can help you. You're on your own. And that's when you go, so what will save me? I mean, is this just a bad news story? Is this how it ends? No, no, says Paul. I wanted you to see all the bad news first before I show you the good news. And there's one item of good news, one thing that can save you, and wow, it's powerful. Let me read to you chapter 3, verse 21, and this takes us almost to the end of the chapter. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, and then a verse you all know, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And are all justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, he had left the, uh, the sins committed beforehand, the people of the Old Testament, he left left those sins unpunished. He, he did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and to be the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Now, this section of Scripture is what I referred to earlier as one of the greatest passages of Scripture that has been ever written. I read one commentator this week who said, if Somebody would come to me and say, we're taking your Bible from you, but you can keep one paragraph. He said, I wouldn't even have to think. The one paragraph I would keep is 
Romans chapter 3, verses 21 to 26. No question. By the way, before I even share any more of that with you, let me just say that for those of you who like a challenge, let me encourage you to memorize this. I'm going to. If it's that important, if it's that perfectly written, if it's the one paragraph that every Christian needs, why wouldn't I memorize it? So if you have the ability to memorize and you want a challenge, go for it. And ask me in about a month how I'm doing. I need to be held accountable, and probably you do too. So let me show you what people think. I can take you 600 years back to a man by the name of Martin Luther who wrote in his Bible, the chief point and the new central place and the very central place of the epistle and of the whole Bible. He wrote it right in the margin of his Bible. This is the center of the Bible. A man that most of you probably wouldn't know, you wouldn't have reason to, a New Testament scholar who's written lots of commentaries. His name was Leon Morris. Leon Morris wrote a great commentary on the book of Romans and after he had written the commentary, he wrote these words. Possibly the most important single paragraph ever written is the one we're about to study. Now, my favorite preacher, teacher, he lived in the 40s and 50s. I have his books. I have his sermons, some of them on tape. His name is Donald Gray Barnhouse. Barnhouse said, these verses are the most important in the whole Bible. So again, I think we should learn them. But Right now, instead of memorizing them or instead of giving you a bunch of facts, let me help you to feel the chapter or the, this whole paragraph if, if I can. Uh, first of all, the first two words, as you learned last week, are, but now. This is your hope. You're going down for the last time, but now. Now, again, when Paul uses the word now, it's very specific. You see, Paul uses the word then if he's talking about before Jesus. And he, he uses the word now if he's talking about after the cross and the resurrection. And that's his way. Today we say B.C., before Christ, and A.D., in the year of our Lord. And we even divide time by it. And, and Paul did too, but he just kind of said it this way. Then, but now, this good news is apart from the law. It means, again, You've heard it so many times already, but the law can't save you. This passage reminds us that God is perfectly righteous and he'll provide that righteousness to you, but he can't do it through the law. And one more time, we learned that we are all sinners. Well, we've heard that a lot in the last seven weeks. We're sinners. And we all fall short. That word fall short in the Greek means to miss the mark. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, this is an illustration I think every pastor has used here, and so I'll use it too, but I'll put it into our context. Uh, the, the length of our room here from the back doors of the worship center to the platform is exactly 56 feet. We measured it twice this week, 56 feet. And let's say I would ask you to line up at the back door right after service, and I would say to you, anybody who can leap from the back doors onto the platform you get to go to heaven. What would you learn? Well, would you, you would learn a couple things. You'd learn that nobody makes it. You would learn that we land at different places, right? Some of us would make it two feet, and some four or six or whatever. We, we would all fall short in different ways, and that's life, isn't it? Some of us have sinned differently, sinned more than others. 
So we'd all fall short, but we'd fall short differently. Uh, put a piece of tape right in the middle of the middle aisle. That piece of tape in the middle aisle, in fact, for those of you in other locations or at home, I'll give you a picture of that. In fact, a video of that piece of tape. That piece of tape is the longest jump ever measured by man. It's 29 feet and four inches, and it's still nearly just over halfway. In fact, the longest person, the longest that any person has ever jumped is not even close to making it. And, and that's the point of falling short. In fact, salvation is unlocked freely through one key. What's the key? Well, let's continue the illustration. Christ jumped from the back doors onto the platform. Actually, he jumped from heaven to earth and from earth back to heaven. You see, it's nothing for him. Even though you couldn't do it, and by the way, as I use the illustration, I make sure you understand that what he actually did is live a perfect life without sin that you and I could not do. And so as long as you have faith in him, if you believe, you're good. Then God is satisfied. I want to note, note here that in this paragraph, and that's why I want you to memorize it, three times it says, that's all you need, faith in this Jesus Christ. And then it uses this word propitiation. I'm gonna show it to you. This is the NIV, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement. But the actual word in the Greek is the word propitiation, whom God put forward as a propitiation. And I'm sure you've used that word many times this week in sentences. You know, it's just not a word we use anymore, is it? It's a word that means to be satisfied. The word actually, propitiation, in the Greek is the same word for this cover of this box, and you all know what this box is, the Ark of the Covenant. It sat in the Holy of Holies. And if I could take you back and remind you of a picture, one day a year, the high priest would take off all his special garments, and he'd wear only a white robe, and he'd take the blood that had been provided from the sacrifice in a bowl, and he'd walk into the holy place, the temple or the tabernacle, and then he'd walk behind this veil. You all know about the veil. And behind that is the Holy of Holies, which sat this Ark of the Covenant. One day a year he would do this. And he was terrified. In fact, tradition tells us they tied a rope around his leg in case he fell over dead. They could drag him out because nobody wanted to go in. And so he would walk up to this box and he would dip his finger in the blood and he would sprinkle the blood on the top of the box, on what is called the mercy seat. That's the word propitiation. And when he'd come back out, the people would cheer and shout because they realized that God had been satisfied. God had been propitiated. For one more year, they could go on with their lives. God would not destroy them. Now, when Christ died on the cross, as you know, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and Christ's blood, once and for all, doesn't have to be done every year anymore, or every 10 years, or every 50 years. Once and for all, Christ's blood satisfied God the Father. So he has taken, he's done the work that you could not do. Now the word righteousness is used throughout the passage four times. It reminds us that God is a God who's always fair, he's right. And even Old Testament people who sinned, you may wonder, what happened about the people, you know, like Abraham or Moses or all those people, what, what, they died before Jesus. What happens to them? Well, Paul reminds us that God is patient. He waited. 
They would be judged by the same measure that we are, faith. And then he closes this section by saying that he is just and the one who justifies. He is the just and the justifier. I can't justify you because I'm not just. You can't do that for me either. But there's one who can. Now, because he's just, he has to punish sin. But because someone else paid for our sin, justified us, we're good to go. I'm going to remind you what the word justified means. I've told you this many times, but I'll just say it again. If you take the word justified and put it in a sentence, you can say, Christ can rescue me because in his blood the Father views me just if I'd never sinned. That's how you remember the word. You see, Christ never sinned. And so if I'm in Christ, even though I am a sinner, God the Father sees me just if I'd never sinned. The Bible tells us that multiple times. Isaiah, the Old Testament, says the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. New Testament says by his wounds you have, you have been healed. In him we have hope. Now, as you have learned already, the, Paul's method of teaching is oftentimes to give you a, a really heavy concept, and that's this last paragraph that I just taught you. And then he assumes you're going to ask certain questions so he asks them for you. So let me, before I even read it, let me just show you that there are some things here to note. First of all, question marks. There are six question marks in this next short paragraph. I'm going to show them to you here. I hope you can see the yellow on the screen there. There are question marks right here. And then secondly, the word faith is used five times because that's the only way you can be saved. And so Paul doesn't want to leave that word out, so five times he uses that word faith. Now, let me read this to you, and I'm just going to explain this very quickly. Where then is boasting? It is excluded because of what law? The law that requires works. No, no, not that, because of the law that requires faith. For we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law, or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles too? Yes, of Gentiles too, since there is only one God who will justify the circumcised by faith, that's the Jews, and the uncircumcised through that same faith, that's the Gentiles. Do we then nullify the law by this faith? No, not at all, rather we uphold it. Now, what's he saying? I'm going to just show you four questions and the answers. You ready? Question one, is there a place for our boasting? Were you somehow able to get back to the surface and save yourself? No. There's no place for your boasting. You've done nothing except hopefully you've believed. But other than that, you've done nothing. So there's no place for boasting. Question two, but doesn't the law require works? I mean, isn't that what the Old Testament is about? No, no. No, you missed it. It's always about faith. In fact, for the next couple of weeks, we're going to look at chapter 4, which tells us all about a man by the name of Abraham who believed God. And that's what gave him God's righteousness, not works. Oh. So question three, does God care only for the Jews? Now, if you read the Old Testament, all you read about is Jews. Even at the beginning of the New Testament, it's all about the Jews. Is it just the Jews? No, no. He's the God of every person on the planet. Jew, 
The word Gentile here is the word Greek. So in other words, you're a Jew or you're a Greek. Every person on the planet is one of the two, biblically speaking. And then question four, do we ignore the law then? Okay, so you're saying the law can't save me, so I just throw it out the window and live any way I want? No, no. The law never could save you, but the law is a testimony to who you are in Christ. So we keep the law, but not to save us. We keep it because we want to be like Christ. So Paul asks questions and answers them. Now, for the whole series, I've begun each message with two lessons that I want you to hold on to. Even next year at this time when we're finishing up the book of Romans, I want you to remember what these first three chapters are about, and it's simple. Number one, chapters one to three teach me that the common denominator for mankind is sin. We're all sinners. There's not one of us that, say, that can say, I'm the exception. We're all sinners. And number two, we should stop accusing people of sinning differently. Yes, there are people who sin differently than you sin, and there are people who sin more often than you sin. But that doesn't make them more of a sinner. We're all sinners. And Paul keeps teaching us we're in the same boat. Now, one thing I haven't told you throughout this series I've said this to you every week for seven weeks. The one thing I didn't tell you about that last part is we're all in the same boat, but the boat is sinking. And your only hope is found in Jesus Christ. You need to reach up to him.